Al Jazeera podcast. These are the sounds of Guatemalans taking to the streets in celebration of Bernardo Arevalo's presidential election victory earlier this year. It was a major upset that upended Guatemala's status quo, fueled by promises of fighting corruption. Now, people are filling the streets because that victory seems like it could vanish. Thousands of protesters have blocked roads across Guatemala in support of the president-elect after the country's highest court upheld a move by prosecutors to suspend his political party. For more than a month now, Arevalo's supporters have been protesting actions by Guatemala's ruling class that they say are attempts to prevent him from taking office in January. I want there to be a democracy that is respected. I want the institutions to function as they should for the well-being of all. So why has the tide turned on newly elected Bernardo Arevalo? And will his presidency be over before it even begins? I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. I'm John Holman. I'm an Al Jazeera correspondent based in Mexico, and I also cover Latin America and especially Central America. So, John, Bernardo Arevalo was elected president of Guatemala in August of this year. And the result was delight and surprise by his supporters. He campaigned on fighting poverty, corruption, improving governance in the country. So first of all, who is Bernardo Arevalo and what should we know about him? So Bernardo Arevalo is the son, actually, of a former president of Guatemala who was very respected back in his day. He's also a member of Congress. We need to show the people that once you take out corruption from the formula, you can get institutions to operate again and to begin to deliver uh, everything that we need in this society that has been abandoned by a system that has not been about the needs of the people, but the needs of that corrupt clique. But despite that, despite his sort of political pedigree, he's always been seen as an outsider. He wasn't expected to do well in the elections, I looked up the polling data from back prior to the first round, and he was polling at like, I think his best poll was 2%. Oh, wow. So he was way down. Mm. Yeah. And so this is when the story begins to get interesting and actually quite sort of improbable. Guatemala's gearing up for its first round of elections. There's three candidates, at least on the ballot, that are a little bit uncomfortable for what's been described as like the elite, the oligarchy, that could have been a thorn in their sides. That was how it was seen by Mm -hmm. analysts. So Mm -hmm. they got kicked off the ballot. And that perhaps was seen as a way to get uncomfortable candidates out the way. That was definitely the way that independent observers, rights activists, freedom of press people were seeing it. 
the entire justice system in the government's crosshairs. Magistrates have been arrested, imprisoned or forced into exile. Journalists and lawyers suffering the same fate, all as the country itself is being plunged back into authoritarianism. But then what happened in that first round of voting was some voted for the favourite in that first round, Sandra Torres, but the surprise in second place, Bernardo Arevalo, suddenly up from his 2%, huh. um, an outsider with this grassroots political organisation called Semilla, which means seed in English, and everyone was uh, shocked. The surprise was not that Sandra Torres made it to the second round. The surprise was not that it went to a second round. But the surprise was the candidate that came from, frankly, out of nowhere, Bernardo Arevalo, to win second place and go on to the second round. I talked to a political analyst the day after, and um, he said to me, I was just looking back at the interview, this could be the biggest upset in Guatemalan political history. Hmm. So... There was shock, and I think for people that were campaigning for change in Guatemala and who'd seen the democratic backsliding, there was from out of nowhere a little bit of hope. Hmm. It's so rare we hear about these political shocks these days, um, so that's surprising. You've met him before, right? Yeah, we met him just after he'd come in second in that first round, which meant that he was then in the runoff that hadn't been held yet. But already after that, there were beginning to be investigations into his party, the way that they collected signatures to form as a political party, things that in general we'd seen before in Guatemala labelled at other parties that this elite in the country didn't necessarily want around. You know, rights activists and people like that would say that the mechanism had started against him. Like, this guy is not the guy we want mm. um, <laughs> running a country and, you know, potentially affecting our interests with the political or the economic elite. Mm. And, uh, yeah, the actions have begun against his party. Mm. When we talk about his victory being a surprise based on your interview with him, do you think he was expecting this? And, and what was he like? He did not look like he was expecting it. I think by the time of our interview, you could see him sort of growing into the role a bit, a role that he was, he would obviously have been surprised going from 2% that he'd ended up in. What he said to us, I thought was really interesting because I said to him something like, this isn't really just about you, is it? This is about the situation in general. And I thought that he might say, no, it's because of me, my strong policy, Samia. And he just agreed. He said, yeah, this is a protest vote. The basically corrupt system of political parties and people that have been milking the cow of the state and that now they're about to lose everything. I remember asking him as well about the attacks against him. And, you know, to paraphrase him, he was like, yeah, of course we're expecting this because we're going to try and change things. We know that they are going to be, they probably will try to use whatever measures they have at hand in order to try to stop us. Unfortunately for his supporters, his victory celebrations were short-lived. What is happening here? Yeah, so after the elections, there were repeated raids by the Attorney General's Office of the Supreme Electoral Tribunal to try and find evidence of fraud. 
in the August election, and it sort of came to a head in September because they seized the tally sheets of votes themselves from that August election, and you had pictures and descriptions of the scene of these 70-year-old justices of the Supreme Electoral Tribunal actually clinging on to the boxes with these tally sheets and policemen, police agents sort of wrestling them out of their hands and even one of them, you know, falling to the floor during a sort of the fracas that was happening there. So I guess scenes that were interpreted by the international community, that this wasn't a case of we've got to get to justice. This was a case of by any means necessary, we're going to try and get this man, this candidate, Bernardo Arevalo, and his party, Samia, out of the way. After the break, what the lead-up to Inauguration Day has looked like and what could happen even if Arevalo is sworn in. Get your news in less than three minutes, three times per day, with the Al Jazeera News Updates. Just ask your home device to play the news by Al Jazeera or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Okay, so John, last Thursday, authorities arrested some of Arevalo's allies, and it appears to be connected to a protest at a university in 2022. What's the latest? So, the latest is a bid um, by prosecutors to take away his immunity and to investigate him personally and his vice president. Prosecutor Angel Saul Sanchez announced a request that immunities withdrawal of President-elect Fernando Arevalo, Vice President Karim Herrera, and several parliamentarians of the state movement. So this is when it starts. There was an occupation of Guatemala's only public university by students, and they were protesting against what they saw as the fraudulent election of the school's new rector. They also called that election a fraudulent process and sanctioned the school's new rector. During that occupation, Arevalo and some of his colleagues sent out some tweets supporting the students and the investigations will be saying that they've exploited cultural assets, they've been involved in influence peddling and illegal association. As I understand it, basically they're trying to make the argument that his support for the students he used for political gain. Mm. So that's where this is at. Across the board, this is not being seen internationally as a just request, like, oh, here's the Attorney General's office trying to get to the bottom of it. Mm -hmm. It's been seen as a pretty flagrant attempt to get him out of the way before the January inauguration when he comes in. And it's not even clear how they'll move forward from it. There are schools of thought in Guatemala that they won't manage it as well, that they're just trying frantically, again, they being this sort of shadowy elite, political, economic, different parties that don't want to see an anti-corruption crusader in the hot seat. They're just trying everything they can to stop it. So President-elect Arevalo is accusing Guatemala's ruling class of political persecution because of all of the things we've just laid out. 
And in recent years, Guatemala has seen numerous judges, journalists, human rights activists persecuted, arrested, or exiled by what critics call an increasingly authoritarian government, which is led by President Alejandro Giamate. Is this part of a greater pattern in Guatemala? I think if you talk to, as we have done, rights activists, independent observers, and if you read what the United States, different international bodies are saying about it, you'd say the answer is definitely yes. Mm. And I was speaking to someone from Article 19, the Freedom of Press organisation, about this situation months ago, and they tied it to this. So in 2007, a UN-backed anti-corruption commission came into Guatemala, and it was a huge deal. They went after people in positions of power, and people started to feel hope that things would change. And that really shook Guatemala, I think, and it finished in 2019 when the then-president, Jimmy Morales, who himself was under investigation for corruption, was like, no, we don't want that anymore, and didn't continue their mandate. Since then, this Article 19 spokesperson who was just back from Guatemala, fact-finding mission, said that she felt there'd been an absolute backlash. She used the word revenge from political and economic elites. And at this point, since then, judges, journalists, activists have been put in prison or forced to leave. At that point in June, Article 19 had 20 rights people and journalists registered as having fled the country. And the most famous case has been Jose Ruben Zamora, the founder of El Periodico, the leading investigative newspaper. It all came down to this a handwritten sheaf of notes with which Jose Ruben Zamora made a last-ditch attempt to prove his innocence. After a trial which both he and international rights organisations have denounced as a politicised persecution. The sentence is six years of prison. His final statement before the verdict and before he was locked up, he said that he'd gone through nine defence lawyers, four had ended up in prison, two had had to flee the country, Such was the persecution, as he would put it, against him and against anyone else standing up to the powers that be. So that's the context around this situation and around what's happening in Guatemala. There's a real pressure against people that are dissenting in any way. And I think that context helps explain what's happening with Bernardo Arevalo, because it's not just him. It's not just his party. This is happening against any voices that seem to be capable of being a fool in the side of those who have a lot of power in the country. We spoke to Jose Ruben Zamora's son, Jose Carlos, who's also a journalist himself. He told us about how his father is doing and what Aravalo's election as Guatemala's next president means for his case which is now facing a retrial. My father uh, is fortunately well. He continues to to be innocent. His uh, entire trial was overturned, and now he is facing retrial on, on February 5th. We're hopeful. Uh, we think... Uh, that once this uh, administration leaves office and stops 
directing and pressuring the judiciary. Uh, judges will be able to, to do their job impartially and uh, really using the law as the basis of their decisions. And if they do that, there is no other possible result than absolving my father because he's innocent and uh, what we've seen throughout the last 480 days is that his only crime was doing journalism and denouncing corruption at the highest levels of the Yamate administration. Another important thing uh, that it's worth mentioning is that the president-elect himself and his party are being uh, persecuted by the same criminal structure that will change soon as the new president uh, takes office on January 14th. So, John, let's talk about January. Aravalo is slated to be sworn in on January 14th, 2024. Do people think that will still happen? And what might we expect to see in the weeks leading up to this inauguration, based on what we've seen so far? I think it all depends on how far the Attorney General's office and whoever else is interested in Bernardo Arevalo and his party not getting that far, how far they're willing to go to try and stop that happening, how many different strategies they're willing to put in place. You could say that it also depends what happens with the international community, but they've already condemned this. There are already sanctions against certain Guatemalan officials. So it all depends how much they're willing to isolate themselves, I suppose, Guatemala. But even if January 14th happens, Bernardo Revelo is sworn in. He's still not in a position of strength because at the moment, as we understand it, his party has still been stood down. That situation hasn't been fixed. So any lawmakers would be entering Congress, as I understand it, as independent lawmakers rather than the Samilla party, which is really going to affect their power. And even if not, as I understand it, he hasn't got the majority in Congress. So this is a leader who, even if this all goes to plan, even with the best of intentions, is going to really struggle to kick against what's quite an entrenched, as it's been put, Guatemalan political system. That's the best case scenario. It's going to be really tough for him to actually change things, to bring about this, this anti-corruption strategy that he wants to, to bring forward. So we have to see what's going to happen. And that's The Take. This episode was produced by Veronisa Campana and Seri Al-Khalili, with Miranda Lynn, Sonia Bagat, Khaled Sultan, David Enders, Amy Walters, Chloe K. Lee, Ashish Malhotra, Zaina Bazar, and me, Malika Bilal. Our sound designer is Alex Roldan. Alexandra Locke is The Take's executive producer, and Ney Alvarez is Al Jazeera's head of audio. We'll be back. <laughs>